You're listening to the Who Does That podcast. My name's Sam Cunningham and I'm joined by Alexander McKendrick. Hey Alex, how you going? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me a part of this thing. That's all right. Thanks for joining me, albeit over Zoom. Alexander, the audience would already know that you've been a surfing instructor and now in design work for Campos. But do you kind of want to just quickly and briefly run us through your career pathway to where you are today? Maybe starting from around uni and what you were studying and how you got to today. Yeah, it's funny to even talk about career path being 28. <laughs> it, was, it was like I'm just starting really. Uh, maybe even my half my mind thinks I'm probably 18 still. So, yeah, to actually talk about some of these things, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm actually feel a bit old. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I, I, it starts out with I studied at Wollongong University uh, to do graphic design. I was originally uh, enrolled at UTS to do architecture. Uh, and the week before I had fully booked out my accommodation, booked out everything, uh, with where I was going to live, stay, budgeting, all that kind of stuff. And I pretty much just started freaking out that architecture is not for me. Uh, started hearing about the lifestyle they live and the style of work that they do. And I was going, wow, this is not me. These guys are getting slammed uh, to maybe make a bit of money by the time they're 40 or 50. And I was just going to myself, this cannot be my life. (laughs) So I was scrambling big time, uh, clutching at straws, trying to figure out what I want to do. and I just was like, oh, what's the next thing uh, creative that can kind of be a job? And I guess design was kind of something that I thought was could work. And so, yeah, kind of transformed, trans, uh, moved my whole life from, I guess, Sydney, the centre of it. I was going to be living in Newtown um, and moved it down to Wollongong. Uh, yeah, so I kind of started Wollongong, amazing, had an amazing uh, one in particular amazing design teacher who kind of really inspired me to really push boundaries and challenge uh, myself. And it was just everything I dreamt of. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess I started off out of uni uh, working at two places. I worked at, uh, at a specialty coffee company down Wollongong called Delano uh, as their kind of junior designer or designer. Uh, and at the same time, I worked for a uh, designer called Simon Perini, who's a legend, still a really good mate of mine. Uh, and, yeah, we just did – I kind of just helped him out. He's the guru and I was just uh, trying to suck in as much information from him and learn as much kind of uh, his wisdom. Um, and he was doing cool stuff for, like, I don't know, Deus and Critical Slides and Surf, Dive and Ski and – um, yeah, I was just kind of trying to, you know, be like him, I guess, to some extent. I wanted to do that kind of work. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, my wife and I just both, Rachel finished university and we're kind of keen to do something pretty different. 
uh, with our life. We wanted to uh, just not do nine to five forever. And, yeah, we kind of just found out that you could do surf guiding um, overseas. And we kind of came across this uh, guiding program that works with like luxury hotels. Uh, they were mainly working at like, the Four Seasons and the One and Only. Uh, and we went over to the Malwise. They invited us over to do a training month uh, to see if it kind of would be a right fit and would work for them. And we kind of went over there expecting just to surf our brains out and get wicked tans and uh just have a good time and we probably got half of that uh the other half we realized that it was actually pretty pretty serious work uh we had really high profile clients um lots of kind of clients that were either like they're like the prince of morocco we had people like uh huge kind of financial bankers coming out from america with their private jets yeah, wow. Uh, celebrities. Yeah, it was kind of just out of this world. And we're like, whoa, this is this is a serious, serious job. Um, so we kind of flew home after that month and was thinking, whoa, like, are we kind of willing to do this? Half our brand was like, yes, this is epic. Like, we're just gonna surf and hang out with cool people. Yeah. And, but the other part of us are going, like, oh, maybe we should just try and pick a more chilled out job that's gonna be uh more about getting the tan and surfing. Uh, but we kind of just like the challenge and thought it would be really fun. And they kind of paid us enough to really easily travel as well with it. Like we weren't kind of scratching for money. It was actually uh, financially really kind of a good option. So, yeah, we, we took the job. And our first, like, posting was over in Nicaragua. Uh, and Nicaragua was amazing. Uh, it was just so, so cool and so radically different to anything we were uh, used to. And we just felt super lucky that we got this opportunity. And we had got this little, like, tiny little car and we're going through farm fields. And uh, we stayed at one beach, um, maybe about 10 minutes from work. And it was just in this local community. It was tiny, like, tin shed roofs for a lot of people and uh, just people playing beach volleyball and drinking beers on the beach is awesome. It was so cool. And then we drove 10 minutes out of where we were through some farm paddocks. We came to these massive, like huge gates, probably like a two-story building size, maybe three-story building gates. Um, and we had to get the security guard and, you know, they would like open the gates up and uh, we had to get scanned, uh, <laughs> like to check Skin. if we were carrying anything. Yeah. Gosh fully scanned as we were, we were kind of going in. They checked all our, all our bags, did a sweep of the car, um, checked under it. Uh, they just like fully did it every day that we kind of came to work. Um, that was every we, day? Every, every day. Yeah, every, every day. day. Wow. So it was so high end that pretty much the, the place, like one of the places that you'd stay at um, for a night was uh, $50,000 a night. Um to stay at so extremely high end yeah Uh, and we kind of came over the hill and you come to over the hill after you've been scanned doing all your kind of stops and checks uh you kind of come over this hill and you just see this amazing bay with this hotel that's kind of you know embedded into the hills and just kind of you kind of 
sort of sparkling of the lights just scattered through a kind of a jungly tree kind of forest. And then right at the bottom was like a big, uh, I think, palapa thing, which is just like this big kind of complex with a big massive swimming pool and it's where they kind of, one of the main places where people would eat and um, we'd kind of just go down there and we had our surf shack to the left-hand side and would stay there and we normally a lot of time just did surf in the morning early to try and get a wave in and then I guess lessons would start. We'd teach people how to learn to surf all the way to taking people who kind of already knew to surf. Um, we had this like, aqua, this I don't know what you call it, some sort of boat that uh, had wheels and so we'd drive up to the people's like uh, places where they were staying in this boat and they'd jump on the boat with the boards and food and like alcohol and everything set up and we'd drive into the water and the wheel would go up and we'd take them to the surf spot. Oh, yeah, that's so extra. What the heck? A <laughs> service. Daughter wave. The, Gosh. Oh, the whole thing was extra, man. Like we'll wax and surf boards, like pretty much ironing their bloody uh, rash vests, like putting on their leg ropes, uh, putting the boards over, making sure they could step over, calling them into each wave, explaining how everything works. Like it was just so full on. Um, but it was an amazing experience. Like, man, if I was on the reciprocating end of that, uh, sure. you'd be loving it life. It'd be so good. Um, so good. Yeah, I don't know how much more you want. I got thousands and thousands of stories of what kind of happened, but we actually spent a yeah. year in there. Um, we kind of travelled around Mexico and uh, Costa Rica, and else like we kind of just did that middle part of America while mm. we kind of had it because, like hotels, at high and low seasons, they kind of fluctuate a lot. Um, so you might go really high for two weeks and really low for two weeks. So. Yeah. Especially when it was low, we just travelled and then kind of came back when it was high. Um, then we went over to the Maldives. We stayed at the Maldives for about a year and a half, I think it was, and did the same thing there. Uh, but that time we actually ran the business. And the first time we were just employees with another guy running the business. Um, but this next time we actually kind of set up a brand new business in the six senses um, in the Maldives, which was a really great learning curve for me and great just to kind of uh, figure out how how businesses work and how to kind of make sure you're doing the right numbers and even just uh, walking up to people and someone trying to sell them a, a surf lesson or to get them into involved in surfing was, was just such a cool learning experience. Um, but, yeah, then... Came home after that kind of almost three years away uh, and we moved back into Cronulla. Uh, we'd always kind of always wanted to live in Cronulla. Uh, it's got the best of both worlds. It kind of has great waves and uh, it's close enough to the city. And I was pretty keen to start my, like really seriously start my design career. Uh, and I kind of just almost fell into my next job. I was getting mentored by a uh, designer uh, slash marketer that owns a big company in Sydney. And he was kind of like searching around for jobs for me, just being a really top guy. Um, he didn't actually have any jobs at his business at that time. Uh, and he was like, oh, man, I feel so bad that I don't have any work for you. But 
I'm going to like look around for you. Um, and he actually found Campos and he kind of flicked me a message there saying, oh, man, this would probably be perfect for you. You should check it out. Uh, and, yeah, I kind of fell into working for Campos. I would always really liked Campos, I guess, because um, being in Delano and that special coffee kind of scene there, uh, always saw Campos as being uh, the biggest specialty coffee guys in the game. Um, mm. So I thought it was really cool, cool opportunity uh, to kind of have, still be a part of something I'm really familiar with uh, and a lot of opportunity to kind of grow the brand, I guess, because uh, I really believed him, I guess, from, origin, from right at the moment I had an interview with Will Young, the founder, uh, Will kind of, would sit down every new employee with him for about three hours and just pretty much inspire slash lecture uh, <laughs> you on the brand and like how he started it, like his process on the way that he kind of selects everything from these beans to the farms to how he, the roast profiles, he walked around everywhere and shows you like every part of the business that why it's done in a certain way. Um, yeah, wow. Then takes you to his cafe, like to the main cafe in Newtown, explains you behind the bar, like this is the reason why we do this and the way that we number stuff and the way that we kind of uh, do the whole procedure. And, yeah, it just, I guess after that first day with him, I, I was pretty much sold. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm into this. I freaking love coffee. and this guy's a mad dog and I really, really inspired by his kind of, you know, passion for work. Uh, yeah. And so I've been with campus now for about three and a half years, I think. Uh, I'm the art director there. Um, it's been a really cool journey. Uh, we've pretty much doubled, I guess, since I've been there in, in size and revenue. Uh, we've kind of launched into Woolworths nationally uh, we've created another brand called Sacred Grounds, uh, which we got to lead that design process. Uh, and it's doing super well as well, being uh, ranged nationally in Woolworths and got a bunch of cafes and that thing's just going strength to strength. Um, but, yeah, it's just been a really great, a great journey to go from, I guess, surfing across the globe to now uh, working for a company that I really love. Uh, another yeah, company that's that's just something that at the end of the day, let's be honest, like we're just making coffee. That's it's pretty cool. Like if you get into two things, you probably make beer or coffee. They're both fantastic products. <laughs> um, so yeah. I fell into one of them. Yeah, totally. That's that's a crazy you say you're only twenty eight and yet at the same time I have to do another podcast episode in twenty eight years' time to see how many narratives there are for you in your career. And it's kind of like a bit of a design coffee sandwich there with Delano's and Delano and then surfing it back to that for a different brand. I want to take you back to the the surfing you kind of we got went from uni to surfing um what was that process to actually finding that that gig and things like that like how did that come about I'm sure there's lots of surfers out there who would love to earn an income surfing, at least in some way, like you were. Like, how did how did that come about? Yeah, so me and my wife uh, had always wanted to 
travel and surf. Like most surfers kind of have that, I guess, instinct or inbuilt yeah, nature yeah. of wanting to have it. Uh, but Rachel's been, Rachel was a professional surfer with Billabong for quite a few years. Um, and she traveled to the Maldives a few times for uh, different things. And she met someone over there at Lowy's. Um, and it was Amy and Richard Koch, who were the surf guides over there. And they kind of had shared a little bit of information with her when she was probably maybe 16 or 17 when she was, I think, over there on a billabong trip. And kind of from that moment, Rach really was super keen to be a surf guide. Uh, and the company that they kind of worked for originally was the company that uh, we went to work for as well called Tropic Surf. Uh, so, yeah, we, we kind of just, I guess, through luck, Rach had made friends with a, a surf guide and was suggesting that we should try and hit them up. And we actually did give them a call and said that when we were looking for it, we said, hey, do you guys like know anyone that would be really good for us? Or can we even come and work for you guys and just um, work for free and just get paid like for food or whatever? Uh, and they just said, oh, you should check out these other guys, Tropic Surf, they're amazing. Um, they pay you really well and uh, it's just a really great opportunity for you, for your age if you're keen to still work as well. Um, so yeah, because we did it that way, there's actually, there's so many jobs out there if you're willing to, uh, have a crack. Um, there's even heaps of jobs as we started traveling around, uh, that if you just take the leap of faith and go somewhere that there are just jobs with cafes and bars and people always at these kind of surf locations are so transitional that there is always turnover I want for um, different people to kind of be employed. So, yeah, that's something that we also learned that we might do again. Like we've also talked about, we, me and Rach really want to go, I think, and do a year in Hawaii. Um, and I think this time we might just take the leap of faith and jump over there and uh, kind of just see that's where we so fall. Yeah. yeah, we might just see where we fall into work um, rather than trying to pre-plan it this time uh, because we were really busy. Like we actually worked at Guts Off. Um, I know it's like, yeah, we worked at Guts Off surfing every day. Um, but it was like back, like every day we're surfing six hours. Um, and it's, it was pretty strenuous in terms of like dealing with people all the time. It's not surfing solo. It's it's like, you know, chaperoning people out into the waves uh, and calling them into waves and, you know, always giving away the best way of the day. Uh, so after kind of three years of that, we were pretty tired. We were like, oh, need a bit of a break from this style. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I actually even answered your question that way. I was saying there are lots of jobs out there uh, if you're kind of willing to, to have a look around. Um, also, yeah, there's opportunities just taking a leap of faith. And I know like, we just went over to Western Australia and when we were in XMAP, there's so many jobs going around there. We just thought, wow. It's actually, if you're willing to do it, like, and wait, really to kind of, you know, jump out of that comfort zone, there is there is a lot of opportunities. Yeah, that's so exciting to hear and the different ways of doing it. It's like everyone talks about until you know, but actually there is opportunities regardless. And just taking a leap of faith seems to be 
one of those avenues for sure. Did, you know, like you mentioned, like work, you were doing hard work. It wasn't just fun and tanning. Did that take like the love out of surfing out of it at all? Like, did it start to be more of a, a task rather than a joy or did it kind of always ebb and flow depending on the day? No, it, it did. I'm going to say, yeah, nah, classic Australian answer. <laughs> uh, the best answer there is. The answer for all answers. Uh, it did in some extent. Like I, when I came back to Australia, I just had so much fun surfing, just one foot, two foot sloppy, bumpy waves, like anything, just anything that was just like solo and I could just do whatever I wanted. I had mm. so much joy that was kind of came uh, out of that. So I think because I experienced, yeah, there definitely was a little loss of it. But the other side of it, and which is the majority of, like I was going to say, that's probably like 10%, and then the 9% of it was, nah, not at all. Like I just love surfing. Uh, it was a kind of a real blessing to just work every day at the ocean, um, every day being able to like surf for quite a few hours. Um, There's just more probably the draining part was the people uh, rather than the surfing. Uh, looking after the people and trying to really give them this five-star service and the service that we showed them, like we loved them and we cared for them and we had everything sorted and there was nothing that they needed to worry about uh, was quite just a draining because the ocean is so... Uh, I guess, uncontrollable uh, and we're trying to sell a controllable experience where mm. you guaranteed like great waves, guaranteed great, um, you know, service and guaranteed great like people to be around. But when you go into surfing, like majority of a great surf or great day is pretty much around if you get good waves and that's up to mother nature and mm. it's so off and on like you might just even be out like you might be you get the you could be like on the worst day ever and this random wave comes through it's amazing and you just have the best time and you could be on like a perfect day and you like you're just never in the spot and mm. you have the worst time so you're kind of trying to like i don't know commoditize but you, i don't know if that's the right way but you're actually trying to like restrain this unrestrainable um kind of sport to try and make yeah. money out of it so that was the most tiring part so yeah i didn't lose my love for surfing at all like as i still surf pretty much every day and um i think i will for the rest of my life uh and i want to probably do more stuff like that in the future uh but yeah it's more the people part yeah that's so hectic and like so I never really thought about that component of that job where you have to control something that's uncontrollable in that way. Um, yeah, you mentioned that the people were draining and earlier you mentioned, was it the Prince of Morocco? Is there any other like big names that uh, you can share with us that you got to rub shoulders with at all? Yeah, there, there was people like, I guess the crazy thing is though, like a lot of people with a lot of money, like, like we had like the, the the founder and owner of Mastercard, right? Like he was there. Oh, wow. Um, but you, if you walk past him in the street, there's yeah, you wouldn't know. There's no, 
have no desire to be like, oh man, I know you're like, he's just yeah. some old dude, really. Um, he had like brought his whole family. Um, he was like a grandfather. He had two generations below him. So he brought the whole family to Nicaragua. Um, and they all did surf lessons. They were like super lovely uh, and a lot of fun. And he was just keen for his people, like kids and family to have a great time. Uh, there was like people like the owner of GoPro um, was one of our clients. Um, he was amazing. Uh, he he's a cool guy. He here's one story. He was out at the point where the the surf break in front of uh, the hotel had a kind of a mm. private wave, and he was out there surfing. And um, as one guy on the jet ski, just kind of. I don't know, just being safety or whatever it was. And he pretty much just turns around to the lineup. And there was probably about five guys out there. Um, they're all staying there. He goes, Does anyone just feel like a cheese toasty? And <laughs> everyone was just like, What? He's like, Man, I'm stinging for a cheese toasty. I'm going to ask old mate over here on jet ski to go to the kitchen on my yacht because he parked his yacht. Like his, and when I say yacht, not like a little, I don't know. I don't talk nautical or whatever. The <laughs> but the thing was quite yeah. big. It was yeah. pretty much, I don't know, maybe 200 meters long. It was Jeez. so big, like massive, Jeez. massive. Um, it, it pretty much took up almost the whole bay. It cost him a million dollars. Like I could see the distance from Costa Rica to Nicaragua, where we were, because we are right on the border. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could see the distance from where it came from. And he told me it cost a million dollars to move his yacht from that location to uh, the bay that we were at. So, um, Just to get cheese toasties from the kitchen. Yeah, so it, 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 uh, that wasn't when he moved. But when, when, <laughs> was, when, when the yacht was in the bay, he just pretty much said, oh, yeah, I'm seeing for a cheese toasty. Um, and two other guys were like, yeah, I could do a cheese toasty. Why not? And the jet ski guy just zooms off, goes to the yacht, picks up three cheese toasties, comes back to the line out and hands them out and – Wow. That was just like some of the things that happened was just like if people wanted it, yeah. they kind of just snapped their fingers and it kind of turned up. That component is definitely controllable, getting cheese toasties. So. That is a control. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go get it when you can, for sure. That sounds like a wild time. What What was the process, I guess, for leaving? Was it just that kind of that that change you mentioned of just ready for something different, missing the waves back home, going solo? Yeah, I think I think we've been away from friends and family for a while, for about three years. And uh, my wife was really keen to get back into. She trained as a school teacher. Uh, she was really keen to start her career, and I was pretty keen to start my design career. And we kind of just thought, oh, it's probably worth coming home um, and starting something different again. We probably naturally, our personalities aren't very, um, I guess, do one thing and stop. Like, we're just such doers. Like, our whole life is so fast-paced, mean rage. Um, we just love jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing and really enjoy that uh, kind of pace of life. Uh, so we kind of left with the idea that or the agreement that this wasn't the end. It was just the agreement that this kind of, time period was like this section of our life that I'd probably finished up. Um, we both felt that, yeah, it's probably time to come back to Oz and do some things. And 
we, because I kind of really wanted to agree on that because I didn't feel like I was done with traveling. Um, mm. And we spent quite a few, like, quite a few mornings chatting about it. And the reason I say mornings is we used to have this, we used to get to eat in the resort and we'd go to like uh, that all the resort was over the water and we'd go to like a little booth that was facing out of the ocean and we'd have like, we'd order whatever you want on the menus and coffees yeah, wow. and all that kind of stuff. And um, that's little massive buffets. You bring everything you want. And we kind of just used to spend early mornings there together, like just, just to have a bit of time solo. Uh, so that's kind of where we did most of our chatting. And it took probably, I don't know, two weeks of chatting through it, like to figure out if we were really done or not. Uh, and just agreeing with one another if, if it's time to go back home. Yeah, so I think it was with the agreement that, that uh, we both were ready for something new and we're keen to kind of possibly do it again in the future. And with those kind of chats have come back up real recently, I think both kind of going all right what's what's the next part maybe it's just every three years we're thinking about something new but <laughs> uh, it feels about time you're listening to the who does that podcast so you're now back back home um the mentors scored you this this job at uh, at campos what does it take to kind of make it in the field of design yeah design <laughs> being able to stare at a computer long enough maybe <laughs> the yep. job. Uh, that is a big reality check quickly side note yeah. if you want to be a designer you'll be able to stare at a computer for eight hours every day at minimum uh, and that's just to do work work let alone your own projects you actually want to be really passionate about so uh, yes that's the first thing I'm going to say uh, Second thing is, depends what type of design you want to go into, I guess. Um, I guess my strengths naturally is uh, I'm probably more of a big thinker, communicator kind of guy. Uh, I like kind of really engaging with all parts of uh, business, probably not just design, because uh, and that's probably how I fell into campus in particular is that uh, if you work in-house, uh, which means working for an actual company such as like, I guess, Campos or Forex Beer or, I don't know, Dettol or whatever brand you can work for, uh, a lot of the time your role as designers is to uh, actually be a part of the whole business and to help the whole business solve problems, come up with different ideas, uh, sell different things. But uh, you're involved with the warehouse to your sales team, to your finance team, to your HR, and you do actually things for the whole company. And I guess that played really into my strengths uh, that I like dealing with people and I like dealing with uh, uh, different challenges rather than just designing. and so, oh, I should I shouldn't say it that way. I shouldn't say just design because I think designing is solving problems really, and that means in all business ways. Uh, so I think that's how I fell into probably more an in-house role, and why that probably suits my personality a bit more and um, my skill set. 
whereas if you're going to fall into like an agency side, uh, which is, I guess, if you're working, I don't know who's listening, what they know about agency stuff, but an agency side's more where uh, a brand would go to a agency or group of people uh, for solutions to their design problems. So maybe they need new packaging or maybe they want a um, new creative platform, which is pretty much like a slogan or something. And then how's that slogan going to roll out through um, TV ads, digital, social, everything. Um, so if you want to probably get into that more agency side, uh, they normally kind of focus a bit more on specialists, if that makes sense, so like a bit more target on just a certain role. So for a designer, particularly like a graphic designer, um, it's kind of just being really bloody good at your tools, um, being able to create great packaging, great like typography, illustration, and they can all be kind of segmented up. You can just be an illustrator for an agency or an illustrator would mainly probably touch on a lot of the time they seem to play both in typography and illustrative stuff. Or you might be more of the kind of generalist graphic designer, which would do a lot of the packaging design or overall branding kind of work. Uh, so a lot of that stuff is if you want to get agency when you're young, kind of just got to stick your neck out and knock on a lot of doors and probably off yourself free, unfortunately, um, or at least somehow just doing work for people in some way and chipping your way into it. Um, but, yeah, I guess I don't know if that really answers the question, but there's two worlds. There's, there's two worlds. There's in-house and there's agency. Um, agencies, more specialists normally and in-house are more generalists uh, and pick which side you want to go, neither is right or wrong, both pay pretty much similar amounts, but they're just kind of super. I can see there being like a lot of designers out there and possibly listening to this at the same time. How do you as a designer maybe, how do you make your work stand out from other designers? Is there any hot tips there or? Does anyone just kind of naturally have their their own flavour into it? Yeah, good question. Uh, how do you make stuff stand out from other people? See, I think some people, nah, they don't. People just copy people <laughs> and then they eventually slide into their own thing. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of my design mates who are probably like, I guess, renowned for, <laughs> that's probably actually rude putting that. Asterisk marks <laughs> with my hands. I don't know if you actually listen to it. Most people it, won't watch but... the video, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they have quite unique styles. Uh, but that kind of just grew from them copying other people or copying certain things. And as they developed uh, like their typography or their illustrative styles, as they developed themselves, they kind of became unique because they just kept on pushing it in a certain way and started seeing things they liked. Uh, but design from things that make, if I'm ever looking at someone's like portfolio or uh, their work, I'm trying to look for something that's going to work. Um, and it's like, it's actually practical and it makes sense. Um, like I love seeing design that uh, you can just see the brief of pretty much what they've been given 
Uh, they've created it and the product just really resonates with that right target market or with the people that they're trying to sell. Um, I don't overly, like, yes, at the end of the day, you want it to be beautiful um, and you want it to be quite unique or kind of stand out. But the way that it stands out is that people just love it and you can tell that the product works. Um, it As much as, like, you'd say, like, like Dettol, like we use Dettol twice now, but uh, the functionality of like thinking about the person buying that product, that age bracket, what they're looking for on a shelf, why they would choose that product over something trendy like maybe Thank You, um, and really understanding their way of thinking, what they want to like look for, like you know, is it kills a hundred percent bacteria being really large because that's a real sell point um or is that really small because it doesn't actually really affect that buyer's purchase um buyers like a uh, want or need um i just really think about that when i want to see people's work i want to see them like really thinking about oh that's cool that works that way because as a designer a lot of the time you don't actually get to design things you love or like i guess um, Sometimes you get lucky and you get to, uh, but a lot of the time you're actually just building and creating uh, products uh, for one that's for a target market, uh, for a, pe- like a, a people group um, that they're trying to sell to, and that might not be your people group, uh, or two, uh, you're like someone's just paying a bunch of money to get it to be done and it's their design process, like their thinking. You've got to try, you might put in some little things that you think will really work, but at the end of the day, if they don't like it, like they won't take it. So just being able to like come up with quality products in those kind of situations makes things stand out for me. Um, and I think that's that's what I think is really cool. Yeah. Has there been ways the way you've seen your own style, I guess, develop and change over time? Or just because you're seeing it every day, it doesn't really feel like it's changed maybe? Yeah. It's funny because I, I think about my style. And I don't really feel like I have a style particularly because uh, uh, two brands, if everyone can look at others, like Campbell's Coffee, um, we've just done a rebrand of our packaging and the other brand, Sacred Grounds uh, Organic Coffee, um, which is radically different. It's like uh, pastel, fun, crazy, people jumping around. Um, and then your campus, which is a bit more kind of sleek and pulled back, but still um, not too crafty where it feels like isolating and doesn't feel like welcoming. Um, those two products play completely different spheres in the same world of coffee, um, but both are absolutely killing it um, in terms of the way they're selling to their target markets. Uh, so in terms of my style, I would almost say that my style is like the way that I create products, not as in terms of what uh, most people would recognize style as, like, oh, he's got that same typography style he does everywhere, that same illustrative style. Like, I think my, I hope my style is like winning. No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my Love style it. is just uh, getting stronger and stronger, creating products that, that work, that really uh look beautiful but sell a product to the market that that's meant to be buying it um i think the more i 
am involved in this world, uh, I guess the more my work's kind of, I guess, working, if that makes sense, rather than just looking good. Um, so, yeah, I guess that would be my style. Take that away. My style's winning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I hadn't already chosen the uh, the heading of the episode, that's that's what it would be. My style is winning. Yeah, Jeez. my style is winning. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> oh, maybe that, that's yeah. a teaser. Maybe that, that'll yeah. sell for sure. <laughs> That'd be like, who is this arrogant piece of something? Yeah, thinks he can go away and for a few years and surf and come back and just run the show. Yeah, no. Seriously. Now I can see how all these components that you shared are coming together, like both with how you appreciated, was it Will, who's the owner of Airpost? Yeah. Like how he's shown you each... Uh, cog within the big machine of Campos Coffee and how it all comes together and that also aligning with your skill set in that even the way you answered that last question was design is problem solving and I think that's that's a great way to to leave it on that note I reckon so thanks Alex for joining me uh, for this episode of the Who Does That podcast my guest was Alexander McKendrick uh, the surf instructor and design director of Campos Coffee. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me a part of this thing. If you or someone you know has an interesting hobby, career, or story to tell that makes you go, who does that? Consider reaching out on our socials. See you next time.